when god came down 2000 years ago he did not come in all his majestic infinite power and glory or as the judge of all the earth pompously displaying all of his awesome holiness and purity but he came in the form of a finite human being to demonstrate all of his infinite love goodness and compassion towards us love came down in jesus christ when he came into this world okay um just a short message here this morning and then we will close this entire season uh christmas as we get into this season a major theme of the bible is about the love of god the fact that god is a god of love and that was demonstrated to us through the coming of his son jesus christ but i want us to think for a f- moment think with me first of all about the nature of god himself and really when we talk about god when we mention god and we say you know we believe in god we pray and so on whom are we really talking about the bible of course has a lot to say about the nature of god who god is what is he like but i want to highlight just a few thoughts few aspects about the nature of god when we say god who is this person that we're really talking about what is his nature in the first thing about god, the nature of god is that and all of us would agree that god is holy he's pure he's righteous in fact he is so holy that the entire atmosphere of heaven if you will is flooded with the recognition of his holiness The Bible tells us in Revelation chapter 4 and verse 8 that the angelic beings around the throne of God they are constantly saying without any rest without any intermission day and night in our terms they're constantly crying out before the throne of God holy 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 So you can imagine that entire environment of heaven is inundated with this one aspect of the nature of god his holiness god is so holy that the light in which he dwells the bible says is unapproachable first timothy 6:16 says that god alone has immortality he self existent he never had a beginning he'll never have an end and he doesn't depend on anybody else for his existence and he dwells in unapproachable light whom no man has seen or can see that's the god we're talking about god is so intensely holy and pure that even our best works the best that we would be able to do the bible says are like filthy rags not because there's anything wrong in what we're doing but just that you're comparing our best with somebody who is infinitely better so isaiah 64 and verse 6 that we are all like an unclean thing and all our righteousness are like filthy rags before such an intensely holy god we all fade as a leaf and our iniquities like the wind have taken us away and god is so holy so great so majestic that if even we would be given the opportunity to see him 
Bible says will drop death. Exodus 33, 20. God says, you can't see my face for no man can see me and live. I mean, this is the God we're talking about. And we would also agree that God, another aspect, the character of God, the nature of God is that God is just. He's a God of justice, a God of truth. Deuteronomy 32 verse 4 says, He is the rock, his work is perfect. For all his ways are justice, a God of truth and without injustice. No matter how we want to look at it and no matter how we try to understand or maybe we don't understand, the fact is that this God we're talking about can never be accused of any injustice. Just can't. He's a God without injustice. The Bible says he's a God of truth. Righteous and upright is he. You can't find any fault with this God. His rule is one of righteousness and justice. Psalm 89 verse 14 says, Righteousness and justice are the very foundation of your throne. Mercy and truth go before your face. Righteousness and justice, they are the the very foundation, the very essence of your throne. His rule is established in righteousness and justice. And obviously as a just judge, unlike the judges of the earth, this judge above all judges, the Bible says he doesn't condone our sin. He doesn't condone our wickedness. Psalm 7 verse 11 says God is a just judge and God is angry with the wicked every day. Meaning he doesn't condone wickedness. He's a just judge. So this is the God we're talking about. Another aspect of God which all of us would agree is that God is so great. He's so infinite. He is all powerful. He is all knowing. is omnipresent. I mean this God is infinite. He knows everything. He fills everything. He's everywhere and he's all powerful. There is no measure of his strength, of his power. There is no measure to his knowledge, his understanding. There is no measure to where uh, he can see. He just covers everything. Isaiah captures it like this for us in Isaiah 40 verses 12, 25 and 26. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand, measured the heaven with a span, and calculated the dust of the earth in a measure, weighed the mountains in scales and the hills in a balance. The questions are put forth, the answer is implicit. That is, this God is the one who is alone, the one who does these things. That the God we're talking about is the God who can measure the heavens with a span. Till now, we do not know how long that span, how big that span is. We have no measure of the extent of this, this universe. But he knows and he, it says it fits within my span. He weighs the mountains and scales and the hills in a balance. And so in 20 verse 25 he says, So to whom will you liken me or to whom shall I be equal, says the Holy One. Lift up your eyes on high and see who has created these things. Who brings out their host by number. He calls them all by name. By the greatness of his might and the strength of his power, not one is missing. Meaning the God we are talking about, we have nothing here on earth that we could use to draw a comparison uh, to. There's nothing here on earth that, that's sufficient to give us a, a description 
of his infiniteness, his greatness. There's nothing. He is all-knowing, he's ever-present. We just can't hide from him anywhere. In Psalm 139, verse 12, the psalmist says, Indeed, the darkness shall not hide from you, but the night shines as the day. The darkness and the light are both alike to you. I mean, it doesn't matter if it's dark or day or night. They're just alike to God. He sees everything. There's nothing that's hidden from his sight. And the other aspect of, the, of God, which we would all agree on, is the fact that God is love. He's a God of love. First John 4 and verse 8 says, God is love. He's compassionate. He's merciful. And so the psalmist describes it like this. He says in Psalm 145, 8 and 9, The Lord is gracious. He's full of compassion. He's slow in anger. He's great in mercy. He's good to all. His tender mercies are over all his works. He's gracious. He's compassionate. He's slow to anger. He's great in his mercy. Now, this great infinite God, whom we often, you know, just take for granted, he created man and woman. He created you people, created you and me. He put us on this earth. And in fact, his design was good. He created us in his own image, his own likeness. He endowed us with capabilities, with faculties, with things that we needed to be able to take care of the earth. He entrusted the earth to us and he said, take care of it. But we rebelled, we sinned. We went away from him, went away from his plan, went away from his purpose, went away from his design. And we walked in such wickedness, the Bible says... It grieved the heart of God. Genesis chapter 6 verses 5 and 6. The Lord saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth. And that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord was sorry that he made man on the earth and he was grieved in his heart. Think about this. That this great infinite God was grieved, saddened. But what he saw people do because of our wickedness. Because that the thoughts of our heart was always evil. And just try to imagine the kind of wickedness you and I walk in. That people walk in today. The world walks in today. Try to imagine that. You know we deny the existence of God and we call that intelligence. So the people who write books on that try to convince us that God does not exist. They are the intelligentsia of our society, of our world today. They are supposedly the scholars, the great men, the scientists. We deny the existence of God when our very life depends on Him. We mock God and we speak against Him arrogantly. We're not afraid to do that. And we think that's that's. That's great. If somebody can speak against God and disprove him or make fun of him, we think that's great. And here's what Isaiah says in Isaiah 26 verse 7, 16. Surely you have turned around. Shall the potter be esteemed as the clay? For shall the thing made say of him who made it, he did not make me? Or shall the thing formed Say of him who formed it, he has no understanding. That's how we speak. 
how we talk. That's the cream of our intelligence, the best of our intellect. They speak like this. Isaiah 45 verse 9. Woe to him who strives with his maker. Let the potsherd strive with the potsherds of the earth. Shall the clay say to him who forms it, What are you making? Or shall your handiwork say, He has no hands? I mean, does this make sense? For the clay to tell the potter, What are you doing? I mean, are you lost control? Or can the one, the handiwork, Say to the craftsman, you've got no hands. When actually, his fingerprints are all over us. But that's how we talk. To make matters worse, you know, we turn the image of this glorious, infinite God into some inanimate work or created form. Or we then create our philosophies and ideas to counteract or contradict the very truth that he has spoken into our lives, into our world. And we call that intelligence, we call that wisdom. The presidents, the chief justices and the supreme courts of many nations, they legalize gay marriage and they think we are forward, we are advancing. Sad to say even some of the preachers in the pulpits and the churches and the denominations in our world today contradict the very truth of God and then they are proud to say we are forward thinking or we are modern. God's got something else to say to that. He says you've got a debased mind. Man you've regressed in your intelligence. Listen to what the Bible says in Romans 1, verses 20 to 32. For since the creation of this world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. That means God's uh, greatness is on display all around us. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools. They thought they were being wise, but they were only becoming more foolish. How did they, how did, what did they do? Verse 23, they changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up to uncleanness and the lusts of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves. Who exchanged the truth of God for the lie. They gave up, they forfeited the truth of God and they embraced a lie, a delusion. And they worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to their wild passions. For even their women exchanged the natural use of what is against nature. Likewise also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust for one another. Men with men, committing what is shameful. And receiving in themselves the penalty of the error 
which was due. What is this? It's talking about homosexuality. What is this? It's talking about the wrong kind of sexual relationship. And how could any preacher, how could any, any man, any, any servant of God stand up and embrace or accept homosexuality or gay marriage? How could that be possible? Cannot. This is what the word, God, word of God says. And yet when leaders in our churches, leaders in the Christian world, when they stand up and say, yes, we're going to endorse gay marriages, we think, wow, they're forward thinking, they're modern. Doesn't hold up against the truth of the word of God. Verse 28, and even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, what happened? God gave them over to a debased mind to do those things which are not fitting. God says, you want to regress in your thinking? Go ahead. Being filled with all unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness. They are whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, violent, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful, who knowing the righteous judgment of God, that those who practice such things are deserving of death, not only do the same, but also approve of those who practice them. Isn't that the state of our world today? Where we are invent so many different ways to do evil, to do wickedness. And the more intelligent our way of wickedness is, the more applause someone gets. God says it's just a debased mind. So just imagine what's happened to us. Even though we know what's right and wrong, we not only do such things, but we applaud those who do them. And here's what the Bible says in Isaiah 5 verse 20. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil. Who put darkness for light and light for darkness. Who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. To just mix this up. Who, who knowingly do these things. And how sad it is when leaders of nations and the supreme courts of nations do these things. God says, woe to them. There's going to be consequence. And don't you think that the heart of God is angered, is pained, is grieved at all of this? And perhaps the only closest picture that we could have to try to understand what actually is happening is that of a father and a son. Imagine a father who has done his best to nurture, up a son, nurture his son. He's taught him the right things. He's trained him well. He's, he, he's sacrificed. He's done everything for this, this little child of his as, he's, as the son is growing up. And he's invested everything into his life. And then the son, as he grows up into an adult, does exactly the opposite of what he was told, of what he was taught. And he goes and dissipates everything that was given to him. Imagine how grieved the heart of that father would be. David experienced some of that when his own son Absalom rebelled against him. But in his rebellion, as Absalom led a revolt against his own father, King David, and in, that, in all of that conflict, Absalom was killed, and the news reached David. This is what happened. 2 Samuel 18.33, Then the king was deeply moved and went up to the chamber over the gate and wept. And as he went, he said thus, Oh, my son Absalom, my son, my son Absalom, if only I had died in your place. Oh, Absalom, my son, my son. 
even though this was a rebellious son you see the heart of the father he says if only i died in your place now think about the heart of god the father how grieved it is and how pained it must be when he sees all that's happening in our world today the sin the wickedness the violence the foolishness of our most intelligent people can you hear the heart of god crying out in a manner similar to this but probably in a far greater far unimaginable way when he's looking at you and me so what does god do in response to all of this the bible tells us that it is god who decided to step into our world it is god who decided to come for you and me he decided to step in says i'll go to them but here's what i want us to understand that when god decided to step into our world this the bible calls refers to him as the high and the lofty one who inhabits eternity i mean he he's over there time he's outside time he sees the end he sees the beginning you and i see a small minuscule part a bit of that time but he he dwells in eternity whose name is holy when he stepped into our world this great this infinite this all powerful this all knowing ever present god he could have stepped into our world uh, in all his omnipotence and all his power and glory but the bible says he did not choose to do that rather he chose to become a servant jesus in philippians 2 he though being in the form of god he didn't considered robbery to be equal god equal god in considered something to be held on to but he made himself of no reputation and taking the form of a servant he came like a man if god wanted to he could have come as the immortal king as the invisible the only wise god and he could have imposed his rule and his dominion on every person and insist that we submit to him and become subservient to him but he chose not to do that instead he came as our servant to serve us mark 10 verse 45 the son of man didn't come to serve to be served but to serve as the righteous and the just one as the judge of the whole world he could have come in in his justice and his righteousness and exposed all of our sin and condemned each one of us right away to eternal damnation he could have chosen to do that but that's not what he did instead the bible says that god loved the world so much he gave his only son into this world and then it says in john 3:16-17 for this he did not come for dog for god didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world but that the world through him might be He could have come to show us how holy he is and how pure he is and he could have come to expose the depravity and the sin and the wickedness of our hearts and our lives but the bible says he came to seek and to save us sinners he came to woo us to himself he came to draw us to himself he came to seek and to save what was lost in Luke 10:19 and 1 Timothy 1:15 says that Christ Jesus came to save sinners the point is this 
When God came 2,000 years ago, He chose not to come in all His majestic power and infinite power and glory. He chose not to come in His role as judge of all the earth. He chose not to come pompously displaying all His awesome holiness and purity. But He chose to come as a finite, frail human being like one of us for this one reason, to demonstrate His endless, infinite love, goodness, and mercy, hoping that you and I would respond to that one thing, is love. So love came down in Jesus Christ when he came into this world. Love came down. He died for us on the cross. He dealt with the sin. He dealt with the the, the very root of the problem. He dealt with the very sin that controlled us. He broke the power of Satan. He came to rescue us from all of that that troubles us. He, He took care of all that on the cross. But he bled and he died. He was buried because he's God. He rose up again. But that cross is that expression of love. The Bible says in Romans 5 verse 8 that God demonstrates his love towards us. And that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We were in sin. We were in wickedness. We were these these depraved people who were laughing at our own creator or mocking at the, at the God who very created, the very God who created us, who were demeaning and, 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 and trying to, uh, and, and doing all these wrong things, changing this invisible, infinite God into some man-made thing. And, and, and all of that, he says, I'll show my love for you. For God demonstrates his love for us, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for John writes like this in 1 John 4, 9 and 10. This is love. In in this the love of God was shown towards us. That God sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. In this is love. Not that we loved God. But that he loved us and sent his son Jesus to be the payment for our sins. This is love. It's not like we were going after God. We were far from that. But he loved us so much he sent his son Jesus To die for us. This is love. And in that love. He invites you and me. To embrace him. As the Lord of our lives. To give him the position. That he actually really deserves. He doesn't demand that. But he invites you and me. Saying. Would you make me your Lord. Your savior. The king of your life. Would you let me. Change you. Take charge of your life and help you live that life out. Would you let me do it? So he invites us to respond to that love. That great love. And in that love, he's willing to heal us, to set us free, to break the things that control us, to break the things that afflict us and torment us. He's willing to do all of that out of love for you and me. He's willing to do that. So he invites us to respond to that love. In his love, he then asks you and me to become representatives of that love. He says, now you take my love to the nations. You do this to others. You love others. You let them know that I'm there for them. You do this. Take my love to others. He invites you and me. So question, how would you and I respond to this love? How would you respond to this great God who, though being so great, so wise, so powerful, he still chose to relate to us out of love. How would we respond to that? How, what would we say? Would he say, Lord, here's my life, take it, use it. 
I embrace you as my Lord, my King, the creator of this universe. That's the place you really deserve. Everything in me is submitted to you. You deserve it. And I'm going to live for your purpose. And I'm going to serve you with love. And I'm going to do what you've called me to do in love because of your love. Would we respond that way to his love? Could we stand to our feet, please? I call our worship team up. If there's any person here this morning, even one person amongst us, that you've never prayed in your life before this time, you've never prayed, you've never ever prayed and said, Lord, I'm placing my life in your hands. I want to believe. I choose to believe in Jesus Christ and I want the Lord Jesus to take charge of my life and I want to I want him to be my Lord, my Savior. I want to follow him. If you've never prayed like that before, you've never made this commitment, you've never engaged with God in such a manner up until this time, then I want to invite you to do that. God demands a decision from you and me saying, look, I've demonstrated my love for you. What will you do with it? What will you do with it? Bible calls us, invites you and me to believe in Jesus Christ, to have him as our Lord, as our Savior. So this morning, even if there's one person here amongst us who feels in your heart that, you know, I need to do this. I need to give my life to Jesus and, and I need to live for this God and enough of my own wicked ways. I'm turning away from all the foolishness and um, my own wickedness, my own sin. I'm turning to Jesus this morning. If you feel that desire in your heart, I want to lead you in a simple prayer before we close. Could you bow? Could we all bow our heads, please? And with every head bowed and every eye closed this morning. If you feel strongly in your heart that you want to turn away from all of that sin and all of your own ways and and place your life in Jesus Christ, in the hands of Jesus Christ. Believe in Him to forgive you your sins and make you a new person. And I want you to pray. I want you to please pray this prayer with me to help you make that decision this morning. Would you say this with me, Lord Jesus? I turn away from my own sin. I turn away from my own ways. And I give my life to you. You be my God. You be my Savior. Help me to live my life for you. And for you alone. Wash me from my sins. And make me a child of God. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Is there anyone here this morning? You prayed this prayer with me. If you don't mind, could you just raise your hands? Anybody here? Prayed this prayer with me. Just put your hand up so I can see it. One, two. Anybody else up in the balcony? Just put your hand up. Prayed this prayer. I see it. There's two hands. Three. God bless you. God bless you. Anybody else? 
Let's give them a good God bless. Put your hands. Thank you so much. All right, so let's take a few moments just to worship this great, majestic God, this, this amazing God. I don't think our minds even comprehend how great He is. But let's just worship Him and thank Him for His love. That even today, He loves you and me that much. That even today, His heart is filled with love and compassion for you and me. Let's just worship for a few moments, please. thank you this morning God that we could be reminded through the children the songs they sang the scriptures they quoted and through your word to God that that though you're such a great and infant God you love us so much we pray that this assurance of your love would fill every heart this morning that in spite of the things we don't understand, in spite of all our questions, in spite of all the struggles, 
that we will leave with this one assurance that you love us. That nothing can separate us from the love that you have for us in Jesus Christ. That you are our Father. We are loved by you. That you're a good, good Father. Thank you. In Jesus' name. Everyone said, Amen. 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 God bless you. Have a great Sunday, great afternoon. Spend time with your family, everybody. We trust that this message was a blessing to you. We'd love to hear from you. You can email us at contact at apcwo.org. Also, visit our website www.apcwo.org for additional resources. Thank you for listening and God bless you.